I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, well, here we are. I don't have my, my sound bank up. Yeah. I am, at, I am in New York, actually, technically in Queens, and an internet cafe. And this is the first I'm, time I've seen you in a couple of days because right? you took off for New York to be famous and beautiful. Aww. And I'm just holding down the fort here. You sure are. And when he says he's holding down oh, the fort, oh my goodness. So there are people here in the internet cafe, you might notice. So it might get a little loud, but that's just color. That's just you know, life writing. That, what is it? Creating creating under stress. Isn't, isn't that part of what we're saying? The fact is that as John Lennon said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. That the, is for one sure. Things, one of the things that impressed me about uh, writer Harlan Ellison is that he can maintain a flow state sufficiently deep to create an award-winning story in a bookstore window that he could concentrate that deeply with things happening around him. That is mastery. 
That's exactly what that is right there. So well, if, if we he can do that, I can certainly keep my head in a in a small internet cafe in Queens, New York, where you can hear the train rumbling by gamers who are here <laughs> because primarily that's what's done here. And everything else that's in Yeah, well, speaking of gaming, and our son is in the other room gaming. So you may hear, you know, <laughs> you're, you're shouting with glee as he kills a zombie or something like that. That's just the new house. We're getting used to the new house and sharing spaces in different ways. We'll get it all worked out. This is just chop wood, carry water. It's just what life is. And before we go on a little bit more about what life is, just want to mention that we have an incredible guest today, Nicole Levy, the writer's room survival guide yay now you know writers rooms are are remarkable phenomenon in that hollywood and i would imagine the entertainment industry that works in a way similar to hollywood it might happen in bollywood might happen in Hollywood, might be in 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 britain i don't know it's one of the few places in the world where writers of fiction can get a weekly paycheck you can actually plan how much money you're going to make from 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 week to week month to month year to year so working your way into a writer's room if you can work your way in there from my understanding that is where you're going to develop your professional level skills you know this is like not just being able to create but being able to create on a schedule being able to create with a room full of people being able to understand what the show needs and create for it on demand if you can do that that is what the real players know how to do. So although we've had writers who've been in writers' rooms and conducted writers' rooms, we've never had one who actually wrote a book about it. So this no. is going to be very special, and I'm going to be taking notes, I promise. This is purely selfish uh, from my standpoint, because I can't wait to hear. I've, I've actually been on panels with Nicole, and I, and I follow her tweets, and, and she always has brilliant things to say. So super, super looking forward to bringing her on in just a couple minutes. But first, and I don't have my fame music because I'm on my, my laptop, which doesn't have the entire sound bank. But just pretend there's very lively theme music playing as we talk about what's going on in our lives. Well, why don't you start, <laughs> sweetheart? Because you're, you know, you could either start or wrap up. It's your choice. Woo, well, I'll start just because why am I in New York? Okay, first of all, I do not do a lot of travel post-COVID. I don't do a lot of business travel. But AMC Networks invited me to come out to New York for this annual event they have where they have several of their talent, that's their word, <laughs> appear to talk about their series, some upcoming, some current, some past. So I was here representing for Horror Noir, I suppose, both the History of Black Horror, which came out in 2019, and also the Horror Noir anthology movie that Steve and I both wrote two episodes for that came out just last year in 2021. So it was a panel about horror as a safe space. And I had the pleasure of serving on that panel with several dynamic. It turned out to be all women. Brian Fuller was going to come, couldn't make it because he's he's busy still working on Queer for Fear. But all women, including Kimberly Pierce, who wrote directed Boys Don't Cry, Oscar-winning film for Hilary Swank, and other up-and-comers, one all the way from South Africa, Australia. I mean, I was just so honored to be with this panel of such dynamic women, many of whom are are doing the things that, that we're striving to do, you know, getting that feature film across the line, which is which is not easy, but it's... it's no, it's not. And very I, it's empowering. Few remaining goals in life. You know, we're gonna we're gonna see 
what it takes to get there because the the podcast here part of it is just to bring up to consciousness what are all the steps that we need to take the things we need to do and also to network i mean we're doing stochastic marketing of ourselves with this you know we don't know who's going to listen to this and what ideas they're going to get so at the same time that we're helping people the same time that we're learning we're actually actually in the process of letting the world know who it is that we are the way we think i mean we took a general meeting recently and i think a lot of the a general meeting you know you you talk to an executive there isn't a particular project they have in mind for you you don't have a particular project in mind for them but part of what you're doing is kind of shaking hands you know you're, you're kind of sniffing each other's butts <laughs> in, 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 a, in a puppy sense you're kind of saying you know who are you and who are you and would you be fun to work with and you know when we have a good time you know can we get into this small boat together and try to row across a sea during a storm, you know, because that's, that's going to be a creative project. And are you going to handle your end of the oars? And are you going to sing sea chant, ch chanties so that we're having a good time as opposed to grousing and bitching and moaning at every instant of it? Because if you can not only have your skills, but you're fun to work with, you're good to work with. That's part of what people want to know. So we have every reason in the world to let the world know who we are and what we're doing, because whether it's moving forward or leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for those who are behind us, we're being as honest as we can possibly be about what we're doing here. What's so funny, and there's so much hustle involved in trying to work in entertainment, you know, and I'm seeing that all around me, like with the people the showrunner I was sitting next to on the plane, Moon. Oh my gosh, what's the name of the show? I'll think of it. <laughs> but in any case, it's an AMC science fiction show. And I did some quick research on him and I said, Oh, congrats on your renewal. And he said, Yeah, it's about two days of celebration and eight months of homework. You know, and he was working the whole flight. And a lot of that is going on. So yesterday I was coming back from a luncheon, which, by the way, Harry Hamlin was there. Did not expect to see him. Oh. Coleman Domingo from Fear the Walking Dead was there. Just a bunch of, in my mind, random people because <laughs> there's so many different people involved in different projects. It's like, oh, I didn't know he was going to be here. I didn't know she was going to be here. So I'm in a car coming back to the hotel with actor, an actor I really like, Zon McLarnon, who's Native American, right? He's in Reservation Dogs. He played Crow in Dr. Sleep. Oh! Crow in Dr. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> but we're talking about the changes in the industry in the past 30 years for Native actors. I mean, come on. No comparison. No. And, and with us is a Black man who was the showrunner for AMC's show 61st Street. And I'm having a great conversation with these guys. But I was running late for a meeting. So as soon as the car stopped, I'm like, great meeting you guys. And I'm literally running back into the hotel to try to jump on the Zoom for our general yesterday. And that's kind of that's kind of this business. You know, I think that one of the you you're touching on a couple of different things there. And in talking to showrunners and people in this business, you're you better remember you're always selling yourself that what you did in the past does not count as much as what you did yesterday. It requires tremendous energy and behavioral and conceptual flexibility. It demands that you learn how to network. You learn how to network. People all the time have this sense of, well, if I'm brilliant, I'll be rewarded. If you're brilliant at the right things, yes. But if you're just good at, you know, at inventing something or writing something, but you're not good at selling yourself and selling the quality of what you're doing, inspiring an emotion in the people who you want to pay you 
and making sure that you're in a situation where you can demand to be paid what you're worth so you're not being cheated. There's so many skills that you need. And I, you have some skills I don't have. You're, you're much better at remembering the names of people and situations and that web of associations, which is what Jonathan Westover, my, my agent, just warned me, you know, 30 years ago, that this is what you have to do, that you have to design those webs. You have to be able to feel what those webs are and you remember the names of people that you're going to be in the room with to do research on them before you get into the room so you know who the players are. And it's there's so many things. And so that's one of the reasons why I kind of suggest that you think about it in a way of what if there was a writer who started where you started and you're going to write a story about how they got into the industry. What are the things that they'd have to learn, be, and do? in order to succeed. And you stick with that. Anyway, go on more about, about what you've been experiencing, sweetie. It's just really one of those rare opportunities to sit, have a drink. I mean, I told you last night I was about to wrap up for the day. <laughs> you know, I had already put on my lounging clothes, wiped my face off, was going to like do a little bit of work for an hour and go to bed when I got a, an email from an executive at Shutter saying, hey, want to join us for drinks because you know he's taking some of the filmmakers out for drinks at a wine bar and i don't even really drink obviously but I don't know, of course i'm gonna go <laughs> so so i had to jump up get dressed you know because i'm trying to you know move at that level and those opportunities... and you're starting to think about the possibility of being a filmmaker t yeah it's interesting you know i don't want to go into too many details because you know the jinx is real but but someone did mentioned the d word to me do you want to direct something and and that's not the first time that question has been posed brian fuller has asked me and us that in the past and yes but this time it just hit different because it was an executive and i'm like oh wait a minute it's an executive and it's about a script that already exists yeah true it's a project that exists that we've been thinking about a lot and i think that the project would be a good thing for you sweetheart you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous. Oh. But it's okay. It's okay. You know, that's just, I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. So, <laughs> you know, you have, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spank you if you don't jump at this. You know, no, if, well, I, 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 I retake, do this. My, my first response to him was kind of like, huh? <laughs> you know, but then he, he left the table for a moment and came back and I got myself together. Well, I, I think, like, oh, that, yes, I'd like to direct. If considering, you know, if, if it's storyboarded, if you have a good cinematographer and a, and a really good AD that you trust, yeah. you can do this. You know, you, you inhabit the world that they're that they're interested in in turning into a film. You could do this. Uh, you know, for me, I'm just finishing up getting moved into the house. You know, while you're gone and supervising the cleaning, supervising the rug cleaning today. You know, making sure that money gets in there. Working on the the, the Tai Chi course business. Working on the Bible document for a, a television series project that we're actually in business doing working uh, as soon as i get finished with that then i'll be working on another business thing another television series business thing and the novel i'm working on with larry niven so it's like trying to get you know what needs to be done this day and to finish moving into the house and to get our lives moving in the right position. And frankly, some of it is on, on hold until you get back. But, you know, I'm going to get as much done as possible. You get back tomorrow, tomorrow evening 
and I will see you at, you know, we'll see you there and we're going to jump right into the next phase of our lives. So this is a moment in which we really are having to each fulfill our roles, even if we're not entirely comfortable with what those roles are, because what's important is the family. What's important is service. You know, am I happy? Absolutely. This house is beautiful and my beautiful baby found it for us. So we have to operate at a higher level in order to keep this, you know, our insides and who we are and what we do matching our outsides, the graciousness of the life that we want. This is, this is one of the best tests we've ever had of who we are as a couple. I love it. Anyway, now yeah, we can thank go to our guests. Thank you so much for holding it down. If I had my applause button, you'd be getting all kinds of applause for that. Well, you can just give me kissy if you get him. I will. Yes, yes better. We do have an amazing guest, Nicole Levy, after growing up near China Lake Naval Weapons Center in the middle of the Mojave Desert. She escaped to the bright lights of Los Angeles, was studying acting. I, I didn't know that part. At the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, one of the other directors I met here also started out in acting and then became a director. So going from acting to writing is a smart move, I think. She realized her true love, though, of Nicole did, writing stories, not playing them out. She worked as a police dispatcher to pay her way through USC undergrad, completed the Master of Professional Writing Program, also at USC, an alum of the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, NBC's Writers on the Verge. She's written on Ironside, Allegiance, The Mysteries of Laura, Shades of Blue, Cloak and Dagger, Fate, The Winx Saga, SWAT, and The Recruit, which pre premieres on Netflix de December 16th. She also co-wrote a feature, The Banker, with, with former Allegiance showrunner and director George Nolfi, available on Apple TV+. Plus. Congratulations on that. And is now writing Spark, a film inspired by the life of Claudette. I love that as a civil rights activist child. And was most recently co-executive producer of an entitled Netflix series that has several TV and feature projects in development. Her first book, The Writer's Room Survival Guide, will be released in October. Welcome, Nicole Levy! Yay! I'm going to ask you to unmute, and I'm going to start your video, bring you in the room. Awesome. There you are. Here I am. By the way, I'm going to hold this up off of your conversation that y'all were having. Can you read? Oh, oh <laughs> it's the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. It's do the thing in front of you to the best of your ability and then move on. Amen. When you are Amen. a multitasking human being, this is such and your conversation made me pull it off the wall. I put a picture of Idris so that I would always look at it. There you go. Can't do better than that. <laughs> no, that is so essential, you know, to both keep track of the long-term goals of life and then what do you need to do today? What do you need to do at this moment? And, you know, the philosophical framework that I like is what the Dalai Lama said, the meaning of life is to be joyful and of service. And so it's the it's the being joyful that, that fills your heart. It's the being of service to the right people that brings the resources into your life, being of service to your community, but demanding to be paid what you're worth, you know, make, making, <laughs> sure, making sure they can't get you as cheap as they can, because that's what they're going to try to do. And oh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. So at any rate, Nicole, I just I'm so glad that you're here and you and Tananarive are probably going to have the most important part of this conversation. So, because she, she's the one who solicited you to come on here. So you, you ladies, please tear it up. You're, you're so amazing and your insights are so good. I mean, everybody, I mean, the industry is filled with people who work in writer's rooms and who have experiences, <laughs> but not that many take the time or have the interest 
and writing a book about it. So I guess my first question is, why you? How did you take a, I mean, aren't you busy enough? Why did you decide to write a book? <laughs> I am busy enough. And in fact, my first response was, I don't have time to write a book. But I am extremely devoted to one of my first mentors, which is Carol Kirshner, who runs the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, also the showrunner training program at the Guild. And she is also my Jewish mother. And she brought up the idea. And I, I very much was like, I don't have time. I don't have time. And she kind of wouldn't let it go. And what really made me finally be like, okay, let me see if I have the time, if I can make the time, is that I have taught before. I love to teach, but it is not a thing I have time for right now. And so the book felt like a way that I could teach and mentor without having to spend part of the day in a classroom. And so I was like, all right, let me sit down and see if I have a table of contents. And it turned out I did. It turned out there were many, many things to discuss. <laughs> My goodness, yes, so many. And I can totally relate to that as someone who is teaching. It, it really is a, an itch you need to scratch to, especially I think for me as a, as a Black creator, when the doorways are just opening for so many marginalized people to come in, I really feel like I want to pass it on. Like the minute I learn it, and Steve can attest to this because he's like, stop giving our work away. But <laughs> the minute I learn it, I want to pass it on to others. Right. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, my whole career honestly exists because of mentorship. And so it is something that I continue to pay forward. If I don't get in the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, I don't know if I ever catch a break because I had been trying about 10 years at that point to break in this business. And I had people on my side. I had a wonderful writer named Joyce Burdett who championed me, who tried to get me representation, but I was an unknown factor. And it was very hard to get people to be interested in you. And that program is really what, what got my career jump started. So that is great. Mentor, mentorship That's, is essential. Could not agree more. A hundred percent. So in terms of survival, and you've seen this with new writers, I saw some one of your tweets just recently addressing new writers in the writer's room. What would you say are the most common mistakes that new writers who are brand new to the writer's room make that you observe and go, ah, oh, don't do that. One of the most common things, and this is a classic, I feel like this one never goes away, is that new writers don't know when to talk in the room. It's very hard to get your footing and figure out, you know, when should I jump in or, you know, trying not to interrupt people. And so what staff writers tend to do is either not talk enough or they talk too much. And it's really about finding that balance in the early days. And so the advice I got, which I pass on always, is try to say something that feels important in the morning and something that feels important after lunch. And you will have won the day. Nobody expects you to solve the big giant problem on the board. But if you do come up with a solution, great. Everyone's going to love it. But like you have to get your feet underneath you and figure out the personalities of the room. And that's, it takes time to settle in. And once you start doing that as a habit, you'll start to feel more comfortable pitching. You'll find your method of pitching and you'll, you'll get more confident. Could you, I wanted to back up just a moment sure. to the conversation about mentors, how important they are, because mentors are the M in the, what I call the magic formula. You know, they, they provide you the map of what does it cost to accomplish the thing that you're trying to do? What do you, how do you behave? What do you do every day? How do you think and feel and, and speak? What are the most important things for you that you've learned from mentors by observation, as opposed to what they told you to do? What did you learn from observing them in action? I think this, and this speaks to exactly that thing I was just speaking about, which is being in the room and trying to get the lay of the land and do all those things, right? Watching, especially because I had the benefit of coming into business when there was a a strong group of writers of color who were hitting that mid-level, upper-level showrunner status. And so watching them navigate, watching how they, you know, played the game in terms of where they pitched, what they were pitching, what they what jobs they were willing to take in order to further their goals. In okay, right there. I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in on that. You just said something that most people do not understand. And one of the first things that I saw about Tananari that made me sit up and bark. And that was, what are you willing to do to get into the position from which you can get to the position from which you can, sh- you can shoot at your real target? 
So most people don't break that down. Would you get in there a little bit, pry that open for us? Sure, absolutely. When it comes to the TV writing game, right, to me, that's about don't worry about chasing your dream job as soon as you're, you're hitting the ground running. You need a job. You need the first credit so that you can get the next job. You need to learn how TV gets made so that you're building your skill set. Now, a lot of people want to work on the cool show, right? The shows everybody's talking about. I started my career in broadcast television. I know a lot more about how TV gets made than a lot of the writers coming up now whose career started in streaming because they're not getting the whole experience, right? In broadcast, you're writing, you're going to set. Hopefully, you're at least getting to observe and post if you're not getting to give notes. And you're getting that full breath of what it takes to get an episode of television ready to go on the air. And so taking the job on the procedural that you don't really want is benefiting your career because you're going to learn so much about how TV gets made. I, I remember. Don't take the job. Super smart. That's yeah. super, super smart. I remember one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a lady who was an executive at CBS when I was an usher there and I had a chance to maybe write a script and I didn't know what to ask in terms of money and she, her comment was at your level take whatever they offer just get in the game get on the other side of the door Don't, you know what the truth is if you had to do it for free if you had to pay them to do it <laughs> get in the game because the game looks totally different on the other side of the door so what you're saying, I'm, I'm hoping that our, our listeners, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about book writing or short story writing or article writing or television or film, there are rules that are only understood by people who are in the game. And on the other side, when you're not in the game, you have a tremendous number of hallucinations about how the game works. And you've got to rid yourself of those misconceptions as fast as possible. Yes. And, 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 and oh, go on. I was going to say, so that takes me to what I would say is the new kind of common mistake. I see Gene Writers, Hilliard Guests, as we should refer to it as emerging writers, because many of us are not young when we're starting. That, amen to that. <laughs> amen to that. These grades aren't an accident. Is, And I think in my point of view, I don't have any data to back this up, but I think because so many writers aren't writing specs anymore, they're not learning that vital skill of writing someone else's show. And so they're getting staffed off their pilot. They're clearly talented. The showrunner thinks they have something awesome to say. They might be great in the room, but when it gets time to sit down to the page, emulating the showrunner is a struggle for them because they don't, they haven't practiced. They haven't surrendered to somebody else's voice. They're only interested in their ideas and how they want to tell a story. And what will happen is oftentimes a staff writer's first draft of a script will not feel like the show at all. And hopefully you have someone on staff who's checking in with that person and can help steer them to the right path. But if you're not, if you don't have that person, basically it's setting the staff writer up to fail. Because they don't have that knack for, no, 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 but the, the showrunner always does his action lines with this double dash. So I have to always do that. Like you're literally mimicking that in your writing. And so many people don't get it. And so I, I just really want to emphasize to folks who are about to get their first job, 
who are in their first job right now, it is incredibly important that you read every document that's available. If there's if there's no scripts written yet, read scripts that your showrunner wrote on other shows. Try to get a handle on what their style is so that when you sit down to write, you have some idea of what they expect. Now, for God's sake, so you're scary. talking about the process of going from the extrinsic to the intrinsic. Now, that is true in like martial arts, for instance. You know, a beginning student will go into the school. You imitate the black belts. You know, you, you, you wear your gi that way, you move that way, you snarl that way, you do whatever you can and you fake it till you make it. But that's, that's how you learn how to write and walk and talk and ride a bicycle and everything else. I kind of wonder why is it that so many artists or so many adults are afraid to imitate when imitation is not just the sincerest form of flattery, but is the fastest way to learn anything. Why don't people understand that? And and before you jump in again, Nicole, my very first short story sale, even though it never got published because the magazine went out of business, but the sale, which was important to me, gave me, you know, wind in my wings to, to keep going for years after that, was imitating a short story writer, Ian McEwen, who's now huge, but he was very bizarre and unusual. And my story was nothing like his voice, but it it freed me in a way. So I think what you're talking, I think sometimes people think of imitation as a constaint, <laughs> but actually it's a way of expansion. It really is. is. It's fear. I, I think it's fear. And I think there is, you know, there's something to that creative thing that we all struggle with. I think when we're, we're trying to get ourselves into whatever part of this business we want to be into, which is you have to believe in yourself so much to think you're ever going to get the job, right? But you also have to have the humility to know that you don't know everything. You have, like, your pilot might be great for a sample to get you staffed on a show. It's probably not a pilot you could ever sell. So, like, you have to have that balance of, I have knocked the sample out of the park, but I have a lot to learn about being a writer. And I think people find that humility bridge a little difficult. How about, I'm not good enough yet. I don't know how to do this yet. If you can keep, if one of the most useful beliefs in life is I can break this down and learn anything. Give me the time. Give me the role model. I can learn this. That gives you the freedom to say, I don't know it now. I'm rotten right now. I screwed up right now, but tomorrow I'll be better. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my early mentors from Ironside, he was an actor who transitioned into writing And his agent was like, well, you need to write a spec. And he didn't even really know what that was. And so he found out and someone suggested that he write a spec of the shield. And I'm telling your story, Mick, because you know, I love the story. Let's stop you though. And tell people just in case some of our listeners don't know, what is a spec? Sure. So a spec is an episode of an existing show. So for example, the last spec I wrote was an episode of person of interest. And because I loved it like a crazy person and it was the last one I wrote because then I got my first job and I didn't have to write specs, <laughs> but it's so you can show that you can construct a story that you know how to write act outs that you know how to write in the tone of someone else's show, because that is literally the job you want. Okay. What is an act out? An act out is so when you're watching your favorite ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox show, and you get to the commercial break and that big, exciting thing that happens right before you head to commercial, that is your act out. And broadcast television 
is it lives for the act out, right? Because you have to make the audience come back. You have to keep their attention so that they sit through minutes of commercials and are ready to come back. Now, obviously a lot of people fast forward through the commercials now, or they watch it on streaming and they don't have as many commercials, but that's still the, the idea of it. And if you can master how to write an act break, you are going to work forever because they're hard. They're, people think they're not hard, but it's hard because you have to you have to sell it to your room. You have to sell it to your showrunner. You have to sell it to the studio. You have to sell it to the network. And that's before your audience reacts to it. So it takes a lot of work to be like, this is the thing that's going to make people come back. I know that the three-act structure is probably taught more than any other you know, structure for drama, but commercial television demands a five-act structure. And if people aren't used to thinking that way, they can have a hard time thinking, well, how do I bring this to a climax so that people will watch the commercials and come back? On shows like Magnum P.I., I think they called it a chopper hanger. You know, it was not an, it was not an innate and intrinsic breaking point. You create an action, you know, so, you know, Magnum jumps on the chopper, it takes off, and now he's dangling over the Pacific hanging there. In terms of the overall structure of the drama, it's not a meaningless, it's not a meaningful event. But in terms of getting people to come back to see how he gets off the chopper, you know, after the commercial for Ritz Crackers, it's an incredibly meaningful thing because in commercial television, the viewer is not the customer. The viewer is the product that is being sold to the customers who are the advertisers. (laughs) So you really have to think about this the right way. Yeah, no, it's really true. And, you know, you mentioned five-act structure, which is, you know, I, I there's like straight five-act and then there's what some of the CBS shows refer to as teaser four, where, so you get a nice, long, luxurious teaser that's basically your first act, but they call it teaser four. But there's also six-act. And I am here to tell you, if you get hired on a show that writes the six-act structure, your whole life is about act-outs. It is literally you will be trying to figure out what the act outs are sometimes before you even know the full story of the episode. Because if you think about, like, if you look at a show, I'll use Castle as an example. If you went back and watched an episode of Castle, there's a very specific rhythm to it because it's like the segments are pretty standard in every episode. You got 10 pages commercial, 10 pages commercial, and it's, it's really hard. And so to try to tell a great story in 10 minute segments, basically, is what your challenge is. And so if you've never practiced that yet, it's going to be difficult for you when you when you land in that chair. So that's why I encourage people to, to practice, write a spec for a show you love and just and and have it. Because the other thing in this business is you never want to give people an easy way to say no. Because people are always looking for a way to say no. Say that. Right. So if I'm reading for staffing and, and someone I don't know has been submitted to me for a staff writer position, and I really like their pilot, I'm probably going to say, do they have a spec you can send me? Because I want to see that they've done the work of practicing writing someone else's show. And it's not common anymore. It was very common when I broke in nine years ago. It's way less common now, but there are showrunners who still want to see specs. And so... I've just thrown it out there. If you are trying to break into TV and you don't have a spec for a show that's current, you should write one. Write all your pilots, but write one spec so that you have it, you've practiced it, you understand what the process is. That is amazing advice. 
and it's it's I, it's almost perfect advice in a lot of ways. You think about all the things that that accomplishes. You're working on your on your storytelling. You're working on your understanding of the business. You are you are modeling success. Any show you see on television got it all the way through the process. Somebody got paid for that. You know, it's not just running around in your head. You're thinking about the difference between a film or a book or a story and what happens in commercial television. So you're showing people, I can I can be professional. You know, the, the, the kid part of me, the writer part of me is alive and well. But the mommy, daddy part of me that says, do your homework is alive and well, too. You know, make your bed, damn it. So when you have both halves of that, the, the creative fountain and the ability to, to understand the strictures of the adult world, this, these are the rules. Those are the people who get the big houses and the swimming pools and the Mercedes. I mean, it's like the people who can, who can keep contact with the kid part of them, the creative part of them, however you want to define that, but also understand the adult game that the producers understand. Absolutely. I just had, I, I've been having a pretty big week in my house and so, so, you know, the book coming out soon and then also some work stuff that I can't talk about yet. And one of the EPs from a past show I was on, I, you know, we were texting about it and I said, you know, I just hope the universe stays on my side. And he was like, the universe rewards hard work and you did the work. And it's like, thanks for that reminder. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I want to ask something based on something kind of specific. I won't name the the filmmaker, but there's a filmmaker I followed on Twitter, very talented, has a feature coming out, who got staffed. And we were all very excited as we are on Twitter. Yay, good for you. And then didn't work out. Didn't work out. Wasn't a good fit. And the next thing I knew, they had left the show. So I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously people feel like sometimes they're undergoing a horror story just because they're in a new situation and they don't know what to do and it feels awkward and it feels bad. How do you know when you're, it's a bad fit? How do you know when it's just normal discomfort, you better get used to this, gut it out, figure it out, and an actually toxic work environment? Right. So, you know, there, there are all manner of showrunners in this business. I think the business is starting to purge some of the more monstrous ones, but there, you know, there's still some out there and, but there are some really great showrunners and then there's all manner in between. And so I would say, I think a super healthy room culture, right? You'll have an indication of what that room culture is going to be on your first day, because if your showrunner brings everybody in and says, Hey, everyone. So glad to have you here. Here's how I like to do things. I like to make sure the room starts right at 10 o'clock. I like to be sure that, you know, we we're going to work really hard while we're here, but I'm going to let everybody go at four because I don't want, I know no good ideas come after five o'clock that they're, they're telling you outright what they want, what they expect. They're telling you, you know, if they're going to assign scripts as you're breaking them or if they're going to just assign and you'll know what episode is yours. But, hey, I expect everybody to be engaged, whether it's your episode or not. It's silly that you have to warn people about that, but there are showrunners who won't assign scripts until they're broken because they've had writers check out in past rooms. And so it happens, right? It's a thing. I've seen it happen. It's it's unbelievable to me. But. A showrunner who does that is a showrunner who's creating a, an environment where they want you to succeed. They want everyone in the room to do their best job. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be bumps along the way, right? But that's why it's important to be building relationships with the other people on your show. 
And it is challenging right now for the shows that are still on Zoom or that are running hybrids because you don't get that 10 minutes in the morning to stop by someone's office and chat. You have to work harder to build those relationships, but they're invaluable to you because then when you aren't sure about something, when you were like, was that about me today? Or was that just like a thing that was happening in the room? I'm not sure. You have someone to ask the question, right? If you don't have that in your room, which is entirely possible, especially as your as the health of your room starts to diminish, right? As you are in a room that doesn't have that showrunner that came out and set the expectations at the beginning and things are mostly okay, but sometimes kind of not great. And you're, you're trying to navigate it. If you don't have someone in the room that you trust, that's why you need that network of writers that you have built community with. I, I have multiple times in the early stages of a show when I don't really know the writers in my room written to my writer friends in a text message or an email and been like, but I don't even know what just happened. Can you please tell me how to respond to this? And they will tell me, they'll be like, do this or don't do this or find a reason to get up and go to the bathroom and get out of the situation right now. Like it, you, you need help because you're not always going to be able to figure it out and navigate it yourself. And I wanted to, to jump in here again, because he, every 10 seconds, you're saying something else that we could probably write a book about, but in life, one of your greatest resources is going to be the circle of accomplished friends, a circle of allies, what Napoleon Hill called his mastermind in, in Think and Grow Rich, where you earn your way into a circle of others who are also on the path. And then because you can't see everything, if you share your journey with them and they share your journey with you, you then become a super mind. So you could, you could text message them, you could email them, you could ask them questions. And because they care about you, and because they know you will reciprocate, they will give you their wisdom. And that is the most hard-won wisdom possible. And you cannot buy your way into a circle like that. You have to earn your way in by being a good friend, by being honest, by being hardworking. So they know you're not going to be an anvil around their neck. You're going to be somebody who they can lean on when they need help. And what you just said the only known way to compensate for a lack of ability is a circle of friends who are as smart as you want to be. I mean, <laughs> it's like, that's, that's it. That's the only known way. So fantastic. I, I had to, I had to add that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And by the way, that never changes a writer that I met toward, while I was in the CBS program. So 11 years ago, happens to be friends with the executive producer that I just started working with and completely unknown to me. And when this executive producer and I were, you know, sat down to start talking, it turned out he had said all these lovely things about me because he's known me my entire career. Completely unworn, like I didn't ask for it. I had no idea there was a connection. But as soon as he heard my name, he was like, oh, you should definitely work with Nicole. Here's all the reasons why. And that is, it's always there. If you build those relationships and they're real and they're genuine, people always come through for you. I want to jump on that. come through for them too. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, of course. That's how it works. Fantastic. I want to jump on that because, you know, this is notoriously is a business that is based on connections and people, you know, and that very kind of person to step in and say, oh yeah, you want to hire her. But people who are new to Hollywood don't necessarily have that. 
So, and I know there's a different story for everyone who gets into a writer's room, but what would you say are like the two or three most common ways that outsiders get in? What, what was, what's the path? Right. Well, you know, I think the one most people hear about and know about is the assistant route, right? Is becoming a writer's PA, a writer's assistant, script coordinator, working your way up the chain. And, you know, it, it definitely works. I have many friends who have worked their way up that way, but it takes time. It takes more time than it should, honestly, because you'll, you'll meet people who are incredibly talented, who should have been staffed in year three that they were in support staff or year two, or sometimes even year one. And five years later, they're still waiting to get promoted. Ooh, how long is so, too long to be in that position? I think if a showrunner doesn't promote you within two years, you need to ask if you're going to get promoted. And some showrunners all pr- will promote their assistants, but they do promote them in order of seniority. So if you know there's a couple of people ahead of you, then you know you got to wait. They're going to get promoted. You're going to move up in the lane. But if, if there's no conversation about promoting you, that's a problem. It's How do you get that job? How do you get the job as a, a writer's assistant? You know, those, those jobs you spoke of, how, how do you get there? I, I wish I could tell you. I honestly don't know. I never could do it because I had enormous student loan debt and could not afford to be an assistant because it is not the greatest paying job in the world. A lot of it is, again, who you know. There are training programs now, which there did not used to be. The Writers Guild Foundation has been doing a support staff training program. And so getting people so that you're you're kind of pre-vetted to be an assistant. And so even though you've never done it before, going through this program gives you like some cred to go out and try to get those jobs. There is, I would say, one side effect of a good benefit of COVID and one of the positive things about Twitter, of which we know there are lots of negative things, is there's a big community of what we call pre-WGA writers now who are assistants, who are, you know, doing all the stuff to try to break in the business, and they've created their own network on social media. So you can look for that hashtag, the pre-WGA hashtag, and start to meet people in the same boat as you. How specifically, yeah, that's great. specifically did you break in? I broke in by way of the writer's mentoring program, the CBS writer's mentoring program. But I also broke in because I was always writing, always, always, always writing. And my mentor that I mentioned, Joyce Burdett, I did not want to write a spec that year. I didn't want to do it. And she was like, Nicole, I know you have an idea. You need to write it. And so I wrote a spec episode of The Closer, which I loved like a crazy person. And that script was ready so that when I decided to take one more shot on fellowship and for the CBS program and only had two days to submit an application, my script was ready. So you have to always, I call it like making sure you have every arrow in your quiver, right? You, that's why you have one spec that you love in case someone asks for it. It's why you have a pilot with a male lead and a pilot with a female lead because sometimes they're looking for one of those specific things. You make it hard for someone to say no to you. Always having every box checked you can check. And I want to give a meta a meta comment about this. What we've just heard is wisdom. It's an even greater wisdom 
to follow the, pr the principle, find the people who are in the job you want and ask them questions. How did they get there? Find people. You go to conferences. You, you hunt them down online. I stalked Harlan Ellison by going to one lecture after another, after another, after another, until he started noticing me. And I always asked good questions. You know, I always made myself pleasant to interact with. You know, and you remember what your end game is. Your end game is to get into the industry and have fun and be of service. You know, that that what Nicole has just said to us is her way. But if you talk to enough people, you will start noticing that everybody's doing some similar things. They're moving their, their chess pieces across the board very carefully, one step at a time, because if they can get that pawn all the way to the back row, they become a queen like Nicole. Yes. And I'll tell you, I think that to, to, to give a great example of that. So early on in my career, I had placed at the Austin Film Festival and I decided to go because I wasn't a working writer yet. I had some time. So I went to Austin and because I had gotten to a certain level, I got to go to a, like a special round table. And at that round table, I met in KJ Cora Carroll and, you know, thought she was delightful, had a great conversation with her. I also went to a panel that Christine Boylan was on and my manager knew Christine. So he was like, go up and tell her that I represent you. I was like, okay, great. Cut to what now 11 years later, those are two of my great friends in this business. I ask them for advice all the time, I, but it's because I had that great first meeting with them. And then anytime I ran into them somewhere, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if you remember, but we talked to Austin and then they did remember. And so then we could just be like, hey, How's it going? What's up? When we ran into each other. And it was just that. It was just building a relationship, not asking them for things. None of that. It was just becoming actual acquaintances and then friends. And now, you know, I when I'm like panicking because I'm like, the studio said I have to do this to my draft. And there are two of the people that I'll call and be like, do I do it? I don't know. You know, I, I that's, think a, that's just a great point. If I could just jump in real fast. No, please. Part of the reason I'm in New York instead of with my sweetheart helping him move into our new house is that it's a very rare opportunity to be on a panel with the, the people I was on this panel with. And absolutely, I collected those email addresses and Go, getting dressed to have drinks when I'm already tired is part of that socialization process. I'm not asking them for anything. We are building a temporary family here, right? And it's not fraud either. We're all here for the same. It, it's not right. fraud either because it, is this something that you genuinely love? Do you love writing? Do you love creativity? Do you love the Absolutely. business? If you loved chess, might not your friends play chess? If you love martial arts, so many of my good friends are martial artists, you know, no matter if you love stamp collecting, wouldn't a lot of your friends also, you know, be philatelists? If, if you, if you love a thing you're doing and you're genuinely fascinated by the people who do it, what happens is other people who are fascinated by doing it will be fascinated, will, will love the fact that you share their fascination. Isn't this an amazing thing that we're doing together? Because people who are experts at anything are moving into a more and more rarefied category where they cannot find other people who see life the same way. That's what I've told my students at UCLA. You know, if you do a short film and it gets accepted in a film festival, you get invited to the same producer's lunch as the people who do the feature films. And you can network with those people and you can share war stories with those people because even though your film, you know, might have been shot on your iPhone or whatever, 
you still had the experience and you and the barriers come down. People see you as peers, even though in your mind, you're like way farther behind than they are. They treat you. Sweetheart, we came back to Hollywood from Atlanta after doing Danger Word as filmmakers. We we raised money on social media. We made our little film and it changed things. I knew it was going to change you by the fact that that you needed to hear actors saying your words. So you made that connection between your heart and, 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 and your brain. But also you needed to understand the production. We were actually engaged in the production of this for three days. That changes you. You can't go back to the ignorance that you had earlier. And that means that you are in a baby way a filmmaker and you just got treated as a filmmaker in New York at a major conference because we had taken that control of our lives. That is so true. And it was just so empowering for these women to say, yes, you are a director. You are a filmmaker. It's just like, wow. So in any case, yeah. Really quickly, can I just say, and by the way, that's the, that's the other way, right? Go make the thing that you really want to make. Make it on your iPhone, get some friends together, do whatever, post it on YouTube, get people to see it. Because that's the other way a lot of people break in without being able to do the assistant route, without all that stuff. Go make the thing. Beautiful. Yeah. Put it on YouTube. We know probably, you know, a dozen different cases of people who made little films, posted it on YouTube, got a deal. You know, and if you can't do that, then maybe you find out you're not quite good enough yet. You don't know how to network. You don't know how to sell. And so if you can't make a a $500 movie, you ain't ready for a $5 million movie. You know, you need to show us your heart and you also need to develop those skills. This that we're talking about with you, trying to break down the things that you have and that you would want to teach a student. This is everything that we're doing in the life writing program where we're trying to take everything that we have learned from every writer who ever let me collar them and put them against the wall and say, how did you do it? I mean, whether it was Ray Bradbury or Robert Heinlein or, or, or Octavia Butler, just, I just think about the people who were kind to me, kind to a young writer. And they said, this is what you do, Steve. This is how it works. You know, send me, you follow my advice, send me your fifth story and I'll take a look at it. That kind of thing. Oh my God. Why? Because I was excited about the same thing they were excited about. You know, they have the biggest stamp collection in the world. I've just got a couple, a couple little stamps, but I'm excited about it. They see themselves in me and they want to help me onto that path. Well, Tananarim and I are doing much the same thing. We love this. We love artists. We love writers. We love the writing life. It is giving us our dreams. And we try, we're trying to take everything that we're doing and boil it down into a weekly program where you follow these prompts, you listen to these lectures, you, you take these ideas. And for over the course of one year, you're going to write between one and four stories a month. And you're going to submit those puppies. But to get to that point, there's an even smaller point. That is, you have to commit to writing at least one sentence a day. If you can write one sentence a day and, and listen to the videos, watch them, listen to them, we can leverage you into your first sale. And on the other side of that door, the world looks completely different. Yeah, that's our life writing year-long course. I mean, of course, we've had our bruises and our disappointments and yearnings and scars 
but we've also had wonderful mentors, as Steve mentioned, and we've learned a lot of tricks and techniques. And, you know, you probably don't have 10, 20 years <laughs> to figure it out in terms of something like screenwriting, like I did. And we do have screenwriting lectures. It's a year-long course. Every week, there's another module with reinforcement and writing practices that will help you thrive and make your writing dreams come true. Learn the business, learn craft. We have a social media group. We have special Zoom conferences where we analyze your stories. But we also have tools to help you learn how to manage your emotions because your fear, your uncertainty, your lack of self-confidence, the doubter voices in your head, those are the emotional things that an artist must overcome every day. Every day you fight the battle over again. There's no point. I was at the deathbed of one of the world's great writers and, and this person was wondering, will anybody care about what I've done? Did it ever make a difference? Okay. Everyone has that stuff. So we give you the psychological tools, the emotional tools, the tactical and strategic tools. We have a social media group. We do, you know, we actually choose stories and analyze them live on Zoom meetings when we have that, you know, the time to do that. This is the best thing that we're capable of doing. And we're, we're begging you take, go over to www.lifewritingpremium.com and check it out. This is, I hope you can tell that we actually care. This actually matters to us. And we're trying to create, I'm trying to create something that the younger version of myself, if I could have given this to myself at 15 or at 20, I could have shared, shaved 20 years off my career. That's what I'm trying to do. I know that Henry feels the same way. So true. So you have two choices. You can struggle along alone, you know, or you can follow a carefully crafted path path with little built-in deadlines to help motivate you no matter what your level maybe you've already published and this is just extra motivation or maybe you've just dreamed of what nicole's talking about and being in a writer's room it all starts with a practice nothing happens before the practice of writing so lifewritingpremium.com is where you can up your game check it out it's very affordable it's a monthly subscription we have had an amazing guest today Oh, my God. Nicole, I hope that you'd be amenable to coming back and and, and going more deeply into it. This is perfect. It feels like it could have been a two or three hour meeting. So everyone run out. It's out in October. So it's coming out soon. Give give her a chance to answer. Give her a chance to answer. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Nicole, would you be so kind as to come back another time? I I will come back anytime you guys want me. I think this is great. I love what you're doing. And so, yes, please invite me back. I'm going to refer a friend of mine to your life writing course. Fantastic. And where? Where can people find you? What you know about, about your book? Any contact information? You know, how can the world know more about Nicole Levy? Sure. So the book actually comes out on Tuesday, October fourth. So it is available for pre-order you, for on Amazon. For the folks who don't like Amazon, you can go to bookshop.org. Support a local bookshop and still pre-order it. Bye. Writer's and, Room Survival Guide. Don't forget the title. Right. The Writer's Room Survival Guide. And- I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, probably more than I should be. And my handle is at Nicole Cookies. Nicole is spelled nice Olay for those who haven't noticed. N-I-C-E-O-L-E. Yes, at Nicole Cookies, because my backup plan was to have my own baking business. And it was in it was already in existence when writing was like, nope, I'm going to pull you back and make. Ooh, what do you bake? Cookies, cheesecakes, regular cakes, all kinds of things. Yep. And- my angry. writer's room still enjoy that particular skill of mine. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I, I can't so be more honest than to say that this has been an inspiration. You yes. are so alive 
You are so alive and filled with joy and purpose. I just, I adore you. And wisdom. Thank you so much. So much Thank you. Wisdom. This was a great conversation. Thank you guys so much. We take love care. you too. Fake applause. I mean, not fake. It's real applause. You <laughs> don't know the real, the real sound bite. But anyway, thank you so much, Nicole. Don't miss your copy of the Writers Room Survivors Guide. Everybody, or Survival Guide, Writers Room Survival Guide. And we'll see you next week on the Life Writing Podcast. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.